We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me wanna. to another edition of the Rock Bell Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And the Bills have advanced to 2-0 in the preseason. Chris, you tweeted out, while you were at work, you tweeted out, this is one of those games that I wish I was watching with Drew. They came out of your mouth, you admitted you like watching football with me. Well, you, it's yeah, already a hell of a week. It's... it's the reason I like watching football with you is for this, the <laughs> podcast. I don't actually enjoy my company. No, it's for the brand. Oh, so, so for the brand. Let me get this straight. You don't appreciate my uh, my manly charm. My uh, you don't have that. My my uh, I don't know what you want to call them. Uh, my my intelligent insights on the fly. My uh, brainy commentary. No, it's not good. My my sparkling personality. You don't have personality. <laughs> I have the personality of an orphanage fire, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Folks, the Buffalo Bills are 2-0 just after a drubbing of the Chicago Bears. We have so much to talk about, insights into our preseason game. We have what we're looking forward to coming up. Just so much to talk about. But Chris, I feel like lately we haven't really earned our label as the pettiest Bills podcast. We did today when I tweeted something out about Duck Hodges. <laughs> Folks, at Rock Power Report, if you're already not following us. Chris, I told Chris, when I walked through the door today, I go, you know, when your tweets don't always land, but when they do, mwah, chef's chef kiss. kiss. It, he tweets out. He retweets Field Yates talking about Duck Hodges being replaced. And she says, hey, if anybody out there is looking for a quarterback that's it's better, better than, than Josh, Josh Allen, Allen, according to Pro Football Focus. And I tagged him. <laughs> it's you, because see, we're petty people. Yeah. It's what we are. People think it's a joke or that it's a shtick or it's something we say that we're trying to be snarky. It doesn't take any effort because it's part of who we are. And I feel like this year I kind of want to break into that more. And so we go right back to what we did last week. I want to start the show, before we really dig into the nuts and bolts of the Buffalo Bills, talking about the best of AFC storylines. And the first one is that the Raiders tried to trade with the Bears for Khalil Mack before they signed Yannick Ngakwe. Now this, job, I threw this into the rundown just because few things make me happier than making fun of the Raiders' brain trust. For Mark Davis's haircut and status as the NFL's quote-unquote poorest owner, to the, the reverse wonder twins working in their front office of John Gruden and Mike Mayock, who constantly activate their powers to take the form of, I don't know, a bucket of pudding, or a poop-flavored lollipop, or other things that, have no, that no one friggin' needs. To the fact that they just had to quote-unquote mutually part ways with their team president, VP of business, CFO, and controller, 
And leaks are indicating that it's because of all kinds of simple business failings. Like, failing to pay taxes on a forgiven loan for more than 20 years. <laughs> wow, you suck at this. The worst part here is that we don't even fully understand the depth of their failure. And while the Raiders are trying to keep a lid on what they can, that's like trying to fix a sinking boat with duct tape. How hilarious is it, Chris, that some of the key architects of their move to Vegas had to leave because everyone went, hey, we applauded you three weeks ago at a party talking about what a great job you were doing, and then we found out that you've been ass for a decade. <laughs> yeah, that seems about right. I mean, I'm just, from the top down. So if all of this is going on, why wouldn't the Raiders have gone into 2021 thinking to themselves, you know, we really dropped the ball trading away Khalil Mack. I wonder if we can get him back. That's like you, Chris, breaking up with your girlfriend because she has expensive tastes and she likes craft cocktails and the mixes. The what? What's that lavender whatever you made in aviation the other night at her house? What was that? It's a creme de la violet. Creme de la violet, folks. These are the things that Chris is now drinking. Well, you need it to make an aviation. I never thought I would sit across the table from someone who would put something called creme de la violet into their mouth, and yet here we are. And I, I'm not going to lie. You tricked me into trying it, and against my better judgment, I liked it. Yeah, you like a lot of the cocktails that I make, I and, and it, you hate it. It eats at me as a man. But So that's like you breaking up with her because she has expensive and exotic tastes, and wanting, she wants some nicer things than you do, right? It'd be the other or way the, around. I have expensive taste. <laughs> Nicer things than $40 haircuts. <laughs> Come on. So this would be, okay, let, let's turn the tables for the sake of the analogy. That would be like her dumping you because you have more expensive tastes than she does. And she can't afford to keep up with that. And then five to six years down the road, she gets a promotion. Meanwhile, you're living with some other girl. She starts sending you 2 a.m. text messages going, hey, W.I.D. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly what this is. Who's it, whose fault is this? Is it Gruden, Mayock, or is it Mark Davis? Uh, it's from the top down. Mark Davis. I mean, it starts with his, like I just said, you should upgrade, get a $40 haircut, <laughs> fix that thing on the top of his head. It looks like shit. See, I blame L. Davis. If he had simply sold his team to somebody else instead of letting, letting his idiot kid run it, we wouldn't be here talking about Nathan Peterman today. Or the terrible haircuts. Or the whole Antonio Brown fiasco wouldn't have happened. And maybe he'd never have ended up with Tampa Bay. Wouldn't have scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl and wouldn't have a ring right now. This whole Mac situation is hilarious. And it would be made even more hilarious if, considering Mac hasn't nearly been the impact player Chicago thought he might be, in terms of being able to single-handedly win them games, because God knows they can't evaluate the quarterback position at all, if that trade actually came, came to fruition, I will go on record and say that if Mac ever gets traded back to the Raiders for less than the two first-round picks the Bears gave up to acquire him, it'll be the Cosmo Kramer of trades, considering that the Raiders would be falling back asswards into house money the way Kramer constantly finds himself in Seinfeld. It'll also signify that there are two NFL GMs out there in the world who should just be set on fire in public, and I doubt anyone from their fan braces would disagree. The second thing on my diatribe list for the week, this isn't exactly a quote-unquote best storyline, but it's a big storyline. The wave of injuries to hit the New York Jets. Back during our AFC's Roundup episode featuring Dr. Kyle Trimble from BangedUpBills.com, he dropped a nugget that at the time seemed like a precursor for trouble. That while swapping out the coaching staff after a dismal two-year run under the Adam Gase regime, the New York Jets left the same training and medical staff in place. And I get it. A lot of injuries are unpredictable, but in predictable fashion, they're starting to roll in down there in New Jersey in droves. And the results, it's not pretty. The big one is Carl Lawson, season-ending Achilles tear for a guy who's been plagued with lower body injuries. Offensive guard Connor McDermott goes out with a knee injury. And you say, well, they just signed him as one of their big free agent acquisitions a year ago. Gerard Davis, who was supposed to bolter their middle linebacking core, is out for six weeks with an ankle injury. Their star rookie, Elijah Moore, the wide receiver who they were calling, you know, maybe a Steve Smith light, he's out with a quad injury. 
Sheldon Rankins with an ankle. Denzel Mims with something they're calling lower body. I, in this week's AFC's Roundup, we're going to talk to Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet about all these moves that the Jets are going to have to make to make up for this rash of injuries to guys who were supposed to play a significant role for them. And just ask him about whether he thinks that this inability to move on from that staff played a role. Chris, you've sat here with me for decades watching the Bills, but now for over a decade we've known each other. We've watched a lot of Bills football together, and for a lot of that the Bills were injury-plagued. When it comes down to where the team is now, after Sean McDermott shows up in 2017, fires the medical and training staff, and brings in his own people, how how drastically has that narrative changed? Well, it's the one thing you're also leaving out is the facility that was built by the Pagulas. True. They have an owner who invested millions of dollars building a state-of-the-art recovery and medical treatment yeah. facility for his players. So it's, it's, it's helpful to have any of those small nagging injuries get fixed in that state-of-the-art building with all the equipment that they have. In just a few years, McDermott righted the ship on what was probably 20 years of just, oh, well, of course the Bills are snake-bitten. I mean, that's how... Do you remember that's how Richie Incognito ended up here the first time? The first time Richie Incognito ended up here, he literally was just a couple games removed from getting back-to-back personal fouls, being pulled out of a game. I was watching it on TV. I remember seeing it happen live. He gets pulled out of the game for back-to-back personal fouls in a game where the Rams are just getting their heads kicked in, as they did when Steve Spagnuolo was their head coach. Then Spagnuolo tries to get tough with Incognito, and he takes his helmet off and throws it at the coach and walks off the sideline as he's being yelled at by the entire coaching staff and half the bench laughing as he walks down the tunnel. The next week, he's playing for the Buffalo Bills because they cut him and the Bills were so thin, we said, hey, that guy's an idiot, but we need him. That's how bad things used to be. And now you look at the state of the team and the overall health. It's a no-brainer that the Jets could have and should have probably made a move there. And in typical Jets fashion, they dropped the ball. Chris, I wish I had had you queue up the drop, but I'm just going to do it audibly. You people get an F- minus in my book. And then the Kansas City Chiefs offense. They just look different. Okay. I watched them this week out of sheer, and this is how bad it was. I recorded the game because I, I was like, oh my God, it was on an ESPN and I forgot that they were airing that game. I thought it was going to be on an NFL network. So I recorded it at 11 o'clock and tried to stay up to watch it. I fell asleep. I woke up at 2 a.m. and sat there until 3.30 watching that first part of the Chiefs game because I needed to see this because I'd heard rumblings that with Mahomes taking it, why is Mahomes take, Chris, why is Mahomes, with Josh Allen riding pine, why is Mahomes out there behind a new look offensive line that this coaching staff has no idea what they're going to get from him? Why is he out there taking any kind of significant snaps? Probably because Andy Reid has a little bit of an old school mindset and wants to get everybody sometime in the preseason. It also might be because this is the most turnover and the most unproven roster they've ever put around Patrick Mahomes. And when you watched him play in the early goings of that Cardinals game, I mean, the running game sparked a little bit, which is smart to focus on because their young offensive line is these big offensive kids who are athletic, but they're going to need some work in pass protection. KC is doing the right thing by letting them get working on the ground, but the reality is with all these new pieces in front of Mahomes and the offensive line, their team is going to have no choice but to run a more balanced attack than we've seen from the, from the Chiefs in the past. And complicating things is the fact that the Chiefs, think to the fat checks that they're currently writing to fewer players than you can count on one hand. I mean, 43% of their salary cap is tied up in just five guys. They've decided to go into 2021 with homegrown talent on hand at the wide receiver position, and the results are pretty fucking brutal. Now, Mahomes is still Mahomes. Their passing attack is still going to be good because he's capable of elevating people around him the same way Aaron Rodgers has for the last decade. But there's a noticeable disconnect between Mahomes and third-year wide receiver Meikle Hardman, who they were banking on taking a bigger role in the offense with the departure of Sammy Watkins. Then you look at the fact that they're badly lacking in size and contested catchability when it comes to anybody not named Travis Kelsey on that roster. Everybody out there is under six foot one and under 210 pounds. 
That's wild. He has no size at the wide receiver position. And if they're not getting free, the only one who's proven that they can get separation naturally on their own on a routine basis is Tyreek Hill. So you're saying when we play them Sunday night, all of our cornerbacks need to jam at the line? Probably. If they're that light. And that's where Kansas City is going to have no choice but to say, and maybe this is part of the madness, right? You say, why are they going in with a group of rookies? Well, maybe they said, look, we have to play it cheap. Let's at least play it smart and cheap. Let's go big on the offensive line so we can be a road grader and get a running game to pick up all the slack that we're not going to be able to get out of our passing game when it comes to 50-50 balls. It doesn't matter. Those factors have all combined to leave Mahomes with a pretty dubious stat line for the amount of snaps he's played. Out of all starting quarterbacks with about 20 passing attempts, Mahomes is behind Drew Locke, Andy Dalton, Ryan Fitzpatrick in yards, completion percentage, QBR, and touchdown passes. And his final drive of last week's game ended on an uncharacteristic interception in the end zone when he was scrambling to try to get away from pressure that's a result of his rookie offensive line. Now, maybe this is all preseason nothingness, but when you're watching him walk off the field pissed off and watching a KC offense with him at the helm has exactly three points so far this preseason while bogging down multiple times in the red zone. Chris, it doesn't feel like nothing, right? It can't. It feels bigger than that. And maybe some of this is just preseason nonsense. But some of it, this preseason nonsense, you just want to celebrate. I know I'm celebrating this as much as I'm celebrating this Bills game. Woo! The crux of tonight's show, the reason we're all here. Bills preseason, we recap. Bills 41, Bears 15. (laughs) 41 to 15. Chris, what was that? Did, did, Did you hear that? It's quiet for a second. So I definitely hear it. Guys, for those of you listening at home, if you listen really closely, you can hear the sound of the Justin Fields hype bus. I can't stop! Help! There's a cliff! And your family screaming, Oh my God, we're burning alive! No, I can't feel my legs! Here comes a meat wagon! And the medic gets out and says, Oh my God! <laughs> Is the game still moving slow for you there? Yeah. It's too, too, too slow. <laughs> so, you know, we didn't get to watch the game together, which kind of sucked. I got to watch a little bit in the break room, and I did watch the condensed game on Game Pass. That offensive line for the Bears wasn't doing any help for Justin Fields or Andy Dalton. It's funny to me that people will still today, if you're a diehard Bears truther, will still talk about how great he looked coming into this game, even after last week when I warned you all that he didn't look all that special against Miami's B squad. And to see it with your own two eyes, I, Chris, the numbers, less than 50% completion percentage, 80 yards, He had almost as many rushing yards as he did passing. Two sacks, less than 60 quarterback rating. I mean, here's the worst part. The rating, the completion percentage against backups, not even backups, but backups, backups. This is a a sub-500 completion percentage against guys who are, some of whom are going to be out there working. Do you remember when Reed got first released from the Buffalo Bills and had to be added to the practice squad? And he told us he got a job at a chiropractic office. Yeah. Just as an assistant, because he didn't know what he was going to do before he went on to become Buffalo Bills captain. He was he was struggling to complete passes against those guys. <laughs> For me, the thing was, all the pre-draft hubbub about Justin Fields, the reason he fell as far as he did, was that his mental processing was challenged. And yet all of the smart people would tell you that he, quote-unquote, wasn't a half-field reader. And that people were, quote-unquote, overthinking Fields' uh, vision, field vision issues. But under duress, when you're not surrounded by the nation's best talent like you do with the premier program like Ohio State at 
the NCAA level. That's when the flaws step forward. That's when they start to present themselves. And on that now viral hit that he took from Andre Smith Jr., I mean, kudos to the kid for being tough and eating what was a man size. You hear me out there? Yeah, that's right. Check that one off on your bingo board. Man-sized hit. That's a welcome to the NFL moment. He didn't even see it coming. He that was the best never part. He took his eyes off the intended receiver to his left. Never. He stared down the barrel of his intended pass target and had no clue Smith was coming until it was too late. And by flinching reflexively when you realize, oh my God, I'm about to get murdered, he actually lowered his head into the strike zone and turned what should have been a really hard, unblocked sack attempt into a potential kill shot. That lack of awareness right there isn't going to pay you any dividends at the NFL level. And while it's certainly something they're going to coach him up on like any rookie quarterback does, it's the exact reason these rookie hype trains, any of them, and the fans riding them should be bracing themselves for impact. There was plenty of that bracing yourself for disappointment on Saturday in Chicago. Now, Chris, here's a little known fact. 62% of the adult population of the city of Chicago, the Chicago metro area, qualifies as overweight. And it was apparent on that broadcast, just a sea of sad, doughy faces. <laughs> Watching Mitch Trubisky look like an all-star while they boo Andy Dalton off the field. And then watching horror while their shiny first-round draft pick pulls a Cinderella at 12.05 and just turns into a pumpkin. <laughs> just a disaster of a football game from top to bottom. Just having to sit there and stare slack-jawed into space, wondering when it's going to end. Not realizing that the answer is at the final whistle. That's when this will all mercifully come to an end. But it didn't stop there. No, no. This morning, from fansided.com, which admittedly is a trashy rag that I don't have a whole lot of respect for. But it's funny. John Bueller of fansided.com pens an article with the headline, Bears should fire Matt Nagy on the spot and hire Brian Dable. <laughs> Did you ever think we'd live in a world where a man who cost me hundreds of dollars in bourbon and steak last season is now being called for by opposing fan bases to take over their head coaching spot? Well, what are you going to do if that actually happens next season? If the Bears are medi- mediocre at best and then they fire Nagy, and Dable looks at that situation of pretty good quarterback for me to work with. I mean, I do like working with Josh Allen, and I think Justin Fields has the potential to be a top quarterback. I mean, he's not gonna he's not gonna take a job next year where he gets someone similar to Brady Quinn or his other previous quarterbacks that he's worked with. Like Brady Quinn twice. Somehow he got Brady Quinn twice in a career. I feel like that alone should. It's like when you see somebody who's suffered enough in one lifetime that you're like, I hope, I hope karma throws him a bone. Like you your got teeth? Pretty, you got... <laughs> yeah, karma did pay... Look, look it. I found a wife who's way too hot. Way too hot to be married to a guy with teeth like mine and a crooked hairline and a terrible disposition, and yet here I am. Yeah, your wife does has, have terribly low standards. <laughs> God bless her for it. But I'll tell you, it's funny that all of this happened and that all of this is going on and all of the turmoil in their, amongst the fans. It couldn't have happened to a better group of sausage-loving, constantly confusing lasagna for pizza group of people. I mean, if you need fork to eat a slice of pizza, you're an ass. It's not pizza. Stop calling it that. When you blow your opponent out to this degree, there isn't much to complain about. So last week's format that I went into this podcast thinking I could do of the good, the bad, and the ugly... I don't even think I can pull that off because I don't, I don't know. <laughs> this might be the most positive podcast you'll hear from me until we land a Super Bowl ring. But here are some of my favorite takeaways. First of all, Mitch Trubisky. Dude was hot. Dude was hot. They could have bolted Andy Dalton and Justin Fields together like some sort of Frankenstein and it still wouldn't have been able to hold Mitch's pocket. All of you asshats out here crying on social media last week about Mitch didn't look good in the, what, two passes that he threw? Something like that. How's the crow taste? The accuracy, and this is what I'll say. On some of his passes, he showed laser accuracy. 
on some of his throws, it was like, I get it. It's one of those things where you say, okay, he wasn't accurate. The throw was behind the wide receiver. Or he let him too much. Whatever have you. But you look at what he has around him now. Look at Gabe Davis. He made it easy. I mean, he's so good at showing his numbers to the quarterback and boxing out DBs like a basketball player that so many of the early early conversion passes that he was making were to Gabe Davis. That's not a that's not an accident. Gabe Davis made himself available and he's a mismatch for everybody. Right? Yeah. But you saw a quarterback willing to say, look, I trust my guy. I trust his catch radius. I'm going to let him go make a play. What I liked most from him was this ability to say, look, it's a vertical passing game. I've got playmakers out there. Not even the best. No Stephon Diggs. No Emmanuel Sanders. No Cole Beasley. But I don't care because the guys I have, I've developed enough in a couple weeks and I trust their talent that I'm going to go out there and I'm just going to sling it. I'm going to be the gunslinger that Josh Allen is. And I'm going to try to follow that mold and let my guys make me look good. That mentality is hard to teach guys, especially when you're coming off something like he went through in in Chicago where he had no offensive help, none. I loved it. I mean, all day. So regardless of whether they were accurate, the most accurate passes in the world, they were on the money like he was Ted DiBiase. That sideline throw to make an easy field goal goal attempt at the end of the half, was that Chris... I, I, if I was him, I would have been walking around at center field like the movie Gladiator, just going, Are you not entertained? Is that throw not why you were here to see me play for three seasons? <laughs> what was your take on the way you saw him operate? Our offensive line was just better than what he had to work with in Chicago altogether. And he was getting time to throw. He was getting able to get to his second and third reads when he needed to, but he was just on Look at on you, the Lehman, ball. Lehman Chris coming through with some actual football. Well, I, had to, I had to watch the game condensed yeah. on Game Pass because I'm at I, Sundays I'm at work, so I only get to see a little bit of it on TV in our break room, but then I come home and I watch the condensed version. So well, now the full replays are available. Full replays. Still no all 22 for all you crybabies out there in the analytics community. My all 22. Why? Guess, here, let me play you the smallest fiddle. Why would I want to watch a, a full replay of a game when I can just watch every play in succession That's and fair. 40 minutes done with it? Here's what I, ultimately what I took away from his performance, though, is that if something were to happen, God forbid, a Raiders game situation where he hurts his shoulder and he's actually hurt, He has to come out, even if it's just for the rest of a game. We don't have to change our offensive style because with Brian Dable at the helm and that offensive line in front of Mitch Trubisky, it seems like we can probably get away with operating the same offense, right? Yeah. Unlike any quarterback that we've had over the last 20 years. And here was the sickening thing. It dawned on me today when I was thinking about it at work. Mitch isn't just the most physically talented backup quarterback we've had since Reich. He's probably sharper than damn near everyone who started for us since the mid-90s. Who would you put over Mitch Trubisky in terms of his athletic chops and his fit with the scheme who started for our team over the last 20 years? None of these people. No, none of these people you have listed. Lossman? Edwards? Holcomb? Collins? Thad Lewis? What are we talking about? <laughs> it makes me sad just thinking of the, like this is what we were living with. Now we have a, a former number two pick as our backup. A backup to a number eight pick who was a borderline MVP candidate. Not borderline. He was the runner up. Yeah, well now Trubisky is getting excellent coaching. <laughs> Crazy what it can do for you, folks. Another one of my favorite things in this game was the Spencer Brown comeback. First of all, he starts over Bobby Hart, which Chris, were you shocked by that? No. <laughs> no I don't think I, I, I'm more shocked that they didn't follow our advice and just send him on a train to go find the edge of the fucking earth. He did well at right tackle, which was his pre-draft fit. Right? That's the thing everyone said. He's gonna, He could probably be a very good right tackle for an NFL team. After struggling when they tried to 
kind of, I think, square peg, round hole a minute left tackle. He threw the lead block to Spring McKenzie on that screen pass catch and run, which we're going to talk about here in a minute. Him handling Mac got a lot of press. I mean, Anthony Prohaska from Disguise Coverage has a great tweet, a great breakdown of how he manhandles Mac on a on a pass rush set. At Pro Double Underscore Ant on Twitter. Go find the video. But there's one play that sticks out more than that in my mind. First play of Trubisky's second drive. Mac rushes against him to the inside. Then they send a blitz to his outside shoulder with the DBU's lined up over Gabe Davis. Brown looked so fluid and natural, just defeating Mac, then passing him off to the interior guard. And the second he realizes the guard has him, I can bail. He has the wherewithal and the technique to bail back outside and disrupt this blitzing cornerback to buy Mitch enough time to hit his hot read McKenzie for nine yards. That is the type of processing that you're looking for from a kid who you're hoping to develop as a starter at right tackle someday. That's the type of thing. Chris, that's a smart play that you don't see some rookies that are drafted outside of the top 60 make. No, especially against a all-world talent like Khalil Mack, you would tend in the moment to put all of your focus on stopping Khalil Mack. I can't get embarrassed by this guy. No, no, I'm going to do my job. It doesn't matter who he is. I can handle anybody. I'm going to pass him off, and then I'm going to use my length because he's 6'11", Chris. 6'11"! I'm just going to wheel back outside, and I'm so long and so big that I'm going to create, like, I had to cheat inside maybe a little bit to beat Mac. Now I'm so long that I can still get back outside to keep that DB just a half step to a full step behind. That's what a right tackle's job is at a starting level in the NFL. And he did it. On that, on that set, I saw everything I wanted to see from Spencer Brown. I, I couldn't have been happier. Now, the guy who caught that hot read, Isaiah McKenzie, he was not only... Chris, you must be hating this. <laughs> McKenzie was not only effective as a wide receiver on short and intermediate routes. I mean, he also caught a five-yard sweep, which I'm sure you were thrilled about. You hate that. Why do you hate five, that? Why do you hate five that yards. so much? I don't know. Why don't we talk about his how he did on punting? How about that? All right, he fumbled a punt. All right, it's not did, great. Did he have a punt return for a touchdown? No, he didn't. You and me are somebody, heads about this forever. Somebody else did. Seven catches, but he flashes some speed and ability to follow his blockers. The same thing that John Brown did, and this is the play that I, I hone in on, the tunnel screen, right? What he was, he was called in Golden Whip. Golden Whip. I think uh, Brett Coleman was the one who picked it out on film. He's like, Josh Allen walks up to the line, sees the Seattle defense in formation, and goes, Golden Whip. And he throws a tunnel screen to John Brown, who just runs behind blockers through the middle of their defense, McKenzie had a similar type play, and he proved that he can follow his blockers on that type of a play call. Now, I don't think that's an accident, and I also think that that's going to provide wrinkles for the offensive coordinator, knowing that you have multiple players at your disposal who can catch and run, while teams are scared to bring their safeties up because Diggs and Davis might get behind them and then just overmatch them physically if you leave them on an island. Speaking of which, now I say this... I'm going to quote Talladega Nights here. I mean this with all due respect. Brian Dable is going to be a real piece of shit for defensive coordinators to deal with this season. There is going to be a lot of shit that gets thrown around in meeting rooms on Monday mornings after Bills games by defensive coordinators when they're talking to their staffs, when they're talking about what happened to their game plan. And I can tell just from some of the... We already know, Chris, that this is a dynamic downfield vertical passing attack, especially with the talent they have at hand. Correct. But Dable came into this game and showed some fresh wrinkles to his playbook that I couldn't overlook. First of all, Mitch took at least three snaps that I noticed out of the pistol formation. That's a rarity in this offense, of which there was plenty of play action, and they had Knox lined up as the H-back. The one play that I see, right? 
Knox lines up as the H-back. They run out of the pistol. They play action. Now Mitch drops back to pass. The result of the confusion in the linebacker core off the snap with Knox cutting to the left from the right hash across the face of the linebacker. Now, that's a guy who's supposed to be, when you look at the state of the defense, he's supposed to be somewhere. The way he's standing so flat-footed, you see a guy who should be playing a shallow zone. It clears him out because he's seeing, oh, my God, nobody has this tight end. And Dawson Knox, when you get him in the open field, ask the Cincinnati Bengals what that looks like. Yeah, you don't want it. So instead, he follows that and leaves Gabe Davis one-on-one with Kendall Vildor, the likely starting boundary cornerback for Chicago, who at 5'11 and 190 is no match when you just throw up a jump ball. Who's coming down with that? Six foot four, two twenty. Gabe Davis. Yes, he is. <laughs> it was a ridiculous play design. It was. It was almost foolproof. All you needed the quarterback to do was throw a good pass, even marginally decent pass. That guy with his big catch radius, he's going to come down with it. Then, I see Gabe Davis line up as a running back in the shotgun down in the red zone. They fake the handoff to him rather than the running back, and that motion confuses the linebacker. And the safety, who before the play, they were probably like, look, Gabe Davis has been killing us. Keep an eye on him. Suddenly, the linebacker and safety get drawn to the line of scrimmage because they butt in the play fake because they've never seen this before. And we just ran a jet sweep earlier in the possession. They believe that this is another wide receiver run. Meanwhile, behind them, Kumaro just cuts across his cornerback's face. And with no safety help, he easily just high points a nice loft from Trubisky for a touchdown. These are games that you're playing with relatively vanilla concepts, but Dable is already going into the bag, fucking with the Bears defensive coordinators. And as we already discussed, making people question the entire Bears staff in the wake of an embarrassing loss. If if what we saw this weekend is any indication on how he's going to try to differentiate his attack this year from last year and the tricks that he's capable of to try to keep defensive coordinators off his scent, kind of the way people, we've talked about it before. Sean McVay had a great offense when he started. In the next season, defensive coordinators caught up with him. You know, he didn't have enough tricks in his bag. They identified some tells of his offense. And then he needed a bounce back 2020 to show, hey, okay, I can adapt. And I can, now that I know you're on to me, I'll adapt. It almost looks like Brian Dable's out there changing before people can even catch up with him. That should have every Bills fan excited. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, I'll take it. And I'm just glad that my paycheck doesn't involve having to try to stop him. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And then finally, Chris, the defensive line play. I, I know it's, it sounds like a, I'm starting to sound like a broken record, but I'd be crazy not to keep talking about this, right? Because the nature of the preseason for every NFL football team, whether you like it or not, is about a few things. First of all, position battles, trying to figure out who's good enough to make your final 53. 
And also trying to figure out where your team might be able to improve at the things that they sucked at last year. For Bills fans, it was looking to see how, just one year removed from watching this highly paid veteran pass rush group that Greg Thompson from Cover One came on our podcast and said that he saw this being like the Eagles front when they won the Super Bowl. Because there was going to be nobody with 10 sacks, but they were going to lead the NFL in sacks. We couldn't have landed farther from that. So it was looking to see, in a bounce-back way, how this youth movement and this swing for the fences that Brandon Bean undertook at defensive end in this draft played out. When you watched what they brought to the table, I think the most impressive thing to me is it was a four-man pass rush with no bullshit, no games, no trickeration. There's no tw- twists or stunts or any any complications to the to the game the game plan or the play design. It was literally we're gonna go four on five, and we're gonna use technique and just the raw physical ability of these guys that we've amassed, and we're gonna try to hang one on you just with that. It was absurd. I mean, it started with the. It was absurd. They put on a clinic as to what a defensive line should look like. They got after Andy Dalton early, and it never stopped. I mean, the first drive, a batted pass, and then a third down pressure that just destroyed the pocket, and he kind of had to throw the ball away. The second drive, stacked offensive line for no push on back-to-back rushes, and Phillips and Oliver just destroyed everything that they were trying to do in between the tackles. And then AJ runs from the interior. This is what I like to see. A.J. Epinesa rushing from the interior on third down and forces an early throw from Dalton that prevents a first down and forces a punt. Now, that was the, that was the hit that uh, Dane Jackson got hurt on. The third drive, the Buffalo Bills say, okay, we've seen enough. Let's pull our starters out of here. Yeah, so let's get some of our starters off the field. Now, you think that that's the time where Dalton and company are going to shine and say, listen, we're starters in the NFL too. We belong here. Instead, Obata and Johnson almost killed Andy Dalton, and then our defensive tackles muddied the water enough to slow up the Bears running back and allow him to be stripped of the football for a fumble. That performance this weekend is the most impressed I've been by a Bills defensive line in the preseason, probably in my adult life. What did you think watching the game, even just in a condensed format? The Bears line was non-existent. They might have had traffic cones up. Ebenezer, Rousseau. It looked like you and me were out there trying to stop these guys. Yeah, we might have been able to stop our defensive line if we were out there for the Bears. Rousseau's got his length. Basham was working a lot inside late in the game. And well, and you to to your point, you'd think it would stop, right? Okay, the Bills front four. Okay, they came off the field. They put in Zimmer. They put in the backups, and it's going to be fine. They'll stabilize. They'll steady things. It never, the, it never stopped. Epinesa was beating up the second string offensive tackles on that fourth down conversion attempt, where it's now viral, where he's ragdolled. Right? What do we talk about? Converting speed to power. Yeah. Epinesa is a player who was f- the, the team had him drop oh, about twenty pounds. You know, here we thought he was going to play like a Cam Hayward defensive tackle, defensive end hybrid role. Instead, that's Carlos Basham's job. They made Epinesa lose weight so he was more fluid, that he could drop into coverage, that he had more speed. And now it seems like they've bulked him up a little bit but taught him how to play with power still. Like, hey, you don't have to be soft just because you dropped weight. Those same techniques that you used to use to win as a power defensive end still matter. And they've taught him to convert speed to power. Now, that's what you see on that play is him saying, I'm already going to get inside you. I'm so fast, and now I'm going to long-arm you, and I'm strong enough to maintain it, and it's done. That guy never has a shot. He throws him on his ass and just gets at Andy Dalton. Rousseau, using his rare length and upper body strength to reach over and through the right tackle and guard, to just snare Andy Dalton and drag him to the ground. You can't coach that. It's impressive with his... I mean, I said it last week. It's watching Rousseau get his arm out straight on a tackle. That tackle has no arm length to touch anywhere near Rousseau's chest or arms. Later in the game, you watch Basham squeeze past the guard as the quarterback's trying to flee the pocket. 
He squeezes in between the garden center because he's too... Remember when we talked about first step and that arm over move? He just beats him. And so he understands his tackles are failing. He tries to flee the pocket, but there's nobody protecting him from Basham just crashing the inside. And it's it's another sack. Altogether, the Bills defensive line pressures. Obata, one hit, six hurries, 32 pass rush snaps. Boogie Basham, one sack, one hit, three hurries, 33 pass rushes. A.J. Epinesa, one hit, three hurries, 10 pass rushes. Rousseau has a sack, a hit, a hurry, and seven pass rushes. 35 total pressures. Now that comes from Rob Quinn over at uh, CoverOne.net. This is what a good front four should look like against a bad offensive front. Right? Yeah. If Chicago needs a tackle, you know, we have Bobby Hart. We can definitely give him to you for a Guys, this Bobby Hart guy, if he's yeah. not already off looking for the edge of the universe. We can send him to Chicago. We'd be more than happy to give him to you for... A sixth or a seventh. Maybe a seventh and some of that lasagna that you assholes keep calling pizza. One of the best things to come out of that game, Cynthia Freeland, she's been a breath of fresh air in terms of Bill's sideline broadcasts. And that's not to say anything of the people who've held the job in the past, but she's good. She's great. Whenever they bring her on, I love hearing the insight she has. And it's just, I don't know whether whether this is just them piping into her, but she's good. The Bills had a 57% pressure rate in the first half of that game. And they didn't even have some of their most veteran pass rush assets available. Now, 23% is considered a quote-unquote good day by NFL standards. If on a Sunday you have a 23% pressure rate, your defensive line did a did a decent job. 57? That's unheard of. Now, obviously it's the preseason, and obviously the Bears offensive line isn't a team that I say, hey, guess what? We knocked them off. Super Bowl. Market. Super Bowl. We're, we're the, uh, what is it, the 2004-2003 uh, uh, Giants? The Giants who defensive line just manhandled Tom Brady in the Super Bowl? Yep. Yeah, I'm not going to say that. But what I'll say is these guys on the other side of the side, the, the, the offensive line, they, they're out there fighting for jobs too. They're professionals. They get paychecks the same way our guys get paychecks. So to see our young guys with no veteran mentorship, to see no specialized, hey, we're going to bring in Jerry Hughes and Mario just on pass rushdowns. Move Rousseau inside. Move Basham inside. A NASCAR package for the first time in our in 20 years of the Bills not having specialized pass rushers. To see them imposing their will with no trickeration to this degree, it's sexier to me than Brittany Daniels and Joe Dirt riding up on horseback with a brisket sandwich and a 12-pack of Moosehead. Yeah! Chris, Brittany Daniels and Joe Dirt, so hot. So hot! What Did you ever have a movie crush when you were younger? Yeah, one. It's the same. It hasn't, it hasn't changed. It's Mandy Moore. In what? In anything that she does. Mandy Moore, really? Mandy Moore. She's the hottest woman in Hollywood. End of story. It's not even close. I wish I could crawl into your head and understand the logic behind this, but also... It seems genuine. Like, she has a pick you don't make if you don't really believe in it. No, I 100%. She's, she's got a very... Uh, she comes across as very down-to-earth and a <laughs> somebody you would take home to your mother. <laughs> Obviously, that's... She's the best. Nobody's comes close to her. I love you. I love you, man. Uh, and I'll say this. If I had to go, like... Okay, so Brittany Daniels and Joe Dirt. I don't know why. That character, the drawl, well, because short be- blonde hair on horseback. I mean, that's with the leather fringes and just. It's the setting. It reminds you of North Collins, <laughs> which makes you think that you could obtain someone like that. Well, then hold your horses for this one because my second, if I had to go 1A and 1B, she's my 1A. My 1B, Marissa Tomei. Marissa Tomei and my cousin Vinny. Yeah, honey, if you're listening to this, I want you to go out. She's not. She doesn't love you. I want you to go out, and I want you to. I want you to order yourself. I'm sure you can find it on Amazon or some f- obscure website somewhere. Buy that one piece floral jumpsuit that she has on in that movie. Holy crap, dude! Marissa Tomei and my cousin Vinny was hot. Dude, she was hot, hot like hot like 
How like Mandy Moore is hot, in everyday you could life? Cook an egg on the sidewalk, hot. <laughs> and when you say, and maybe to your point, it's all about reference. Maybe when you see her with, uh, uh, Jesus, I have his autograph in a framed photo in my office. What is the? Oh my God. What? Joe Pesci. When you see her with Joe Pesci, it almost makes it feel attainable, right? Yeah. Oh, Mandy Moore. She's the hottest thing in Hollywood. Hottest well, woman in Hollywood. Rock Powell Report. Your movie, your movie crush growing up. Man, woman, doesn't matter. Your movie crush. Who was it and why? Final thoughts, Chris, as we button this whole conversation up. Walking out of this game... What did you leave with it feeling for this football team? Our defensive line might be a little better than we're anticipating. And then uh, the injuries that came out of that game. I was not happy with the uh, with the injuries. Okay, and I guess that's it. Obviously, this all isn't sunshine and rainbows. It can't be. There's no perfect game. Saran Neal falling down in coverage without help over the top, and he gives up a 70-yard touchdown. Not thrilled. I don't know what that means for Saran Neal. Right? There's a lot of people who I saw tweeting when it happened. Oh, Saran Neal maybe just blew his shot at making the roster. But then you see Jaquan Johnson take an injury, and you go, well, then that's not good. What does that do for his chances? Multiple injuries to players of note. You know, there's a, I'm not going to sit here and try to articulate it all for you. I'm going to direct you over instead to bangedupbills.com. He has a great synopsis of every injury that happened this weekend and the severity of it, the prognosis, the whole nine, because I'm I, – what? Am I going to sit – am I going to put on a stethoscope and pretend to be Dr. Nick from The Simpsons? No. No. That's hackery. I'm not doing that. But I look at it and I go, you've got Harrison Phillips re-aggravating that ACL torn knee. Brown's knee tweak that led to him being labeled day-to-day. Uh, Tommy Doyle being labeled day-to-day. Marquez Stevenson's foot and ankle injury on that touchdown return that might jeopardize his ability to earn a roster spot. <sighs> There's some things that came out of this not to like, but the big picture's pretty friggin' bright. The Bills had 28 points before the Bears had their third first down of the game. The Bills' first punt came with six minutes left in the first half. That's all you need to know about how this game went for the Bears' starters and second stringers. And their backups came in and made a hot-to-trot rookie that everyone was calling a star look like the rookie that he is. Russ Brown, last week over at Cover 1, had a whole piece about how impressive, he used the word impressive, Justin Fields was. And I commented on his tweet. I was like, oh, well, you know, here's his stat line and here's all the things that I just made fun of him for on a podcast. But sure, he's quote unquote impressive. And his only response was the Michael Scott whispering to Toby face going, I'll kill you. So I followed up after this game with another tweet that was just a picture. It was just the now viral picture of uh, Justin Fields in the pocket with the label of my fall plans. And Andre Smith Jr. labeled as the Delta variant. And I said to him, and I said, I wish NFL Twitter had a customer service department. Because I'd like to lodge a formal complaint. I'd walk up there like a Karen and, excuse me, sir. Yes, I was told that Justin Fields was impressive. Okay, well, I was told this. Now I have company coming over in three hours. And look, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> and I just tweeted him a stat line from the game. I know I'm giving him shit, but it's it's real. You can't dig too much into what these rookies do because ultimately they're rookies. When you go up against a talented front, when you have a talentless team, that's what's going to happen to you. You're going to get your pants pulled down on TV. <sighs> now, you know we're petty. So obviously I rolled around in that like a dog found something that smelled bad in the yard. <sighs> but this game was about a lot of things. One of the biggest takeaways that I have is that this team seems to truly understand what each of its players and units needs and is using this preseason, maybe one of the biggest in recent team history, to scratch every single one of those itches. 
Mitch has a shoulder on his a chip on his shoulder about being a top three pick that was unceremoniously dumped into free agency. Fuck it. Let him go get his revenge. Let's put more work in than the opposing team. Let's go out there and actually game plan. Let's draw up a game plan that's so good that their defense can't possibly be prepared for it at this point in the season and dunk all over him and make Trubisky look like a star. Not just to prove to him that he's capable of it, but to prove to his teammates that he's capable of leading if his number has to get called. For him, it's like letting out a breath of fresh air. Breath of fresh air, Jesus Christ. It's like letting out a deep breath that you've been holding in for a while. Like, Chris, you've played hockey. I'm sure there's been goalies who have given you fits just because of the way they play, right? Yeah, usually it's goaltenders that play on their feet and don't have skates on. Generally throw me off on breakaway. Would they allow that? Yeah, it's weird. I've never... Until I moved back to Buffalo, I've never seen that happen. Even in the leagues that I played in in Georgia, goaltenders always had skates on. Up here, it's, well, if you want to wear steel toe boots, you can. (laughs) That always throws me off on, like, breakaways. So, knowing that that's a mental block for you, or knowing that that's a thing you struggle with, once you see that first one go past a guy... Doesn't that typically do... It pays dividends for you. Yeah. It's like, all right, I got this. Okay. So it lets you play a little looser and refocus on the tasks that are still ahead of you. That's what the team just did for Mitch Trubisky. Russo and Basham. You want to talk about raw prospects? Leave Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes on the sidelines. Let's throw them both headfirst into the fire for two weeks in a row, giving them a boatload of meaningful snaps. I, I didn't... I didn't make this up. Boogie Basham, 33 pass rush, pass rush attempts in that game. These are players that Chris Sims was not a fan of. He talked. He openly talked shit about him, said neither one of them have NFL upside. The team says, fuck it. Let them go. Let's see what they have. Let them earn their spot against another team's starters. Get a boatload of meaningful snaps. Your running backs need confidence. We're going to give Singletary seven carries this week and watch him average 6.3 yards per carry for the preseason. We're going to give Moss four carries on the opponent's side of the field in his first game back in favorable situations and watch him profit to the tune of 5.3 yards per carry. Your run game as a whole couldn't cut it in 2020 and your interior offensive line couldn't impose their will. Yeah, fuck it. We're going to run the ball in all sorts of situations. Early downs, goal line, fourth down conversions. We're going to get those backs and big uglies engaged early and often, knowing full well that they're not the crux of our offense, but something that needs to be ready. More ready than it was in 2020. I love what this staff is doing to get this roster ready for the regular season because you can see that there's a plan here. And thus far, I think they've executed it to perfection while limiting the injury risk to the names that are truly going to drive this team to, I think, real success in 2021. The guys who make them Super Bowl contenders. You know, um, you think Basham and Rousseau could get decent amount of snaps week one against the Steelers. I mean, that offensive line is not good. We're going to have a Mario Addison and a Jerry Hughes that nobody's seen this preseason. Why? Because they're fresh. We actually might wreck Pitt- Pittsburgh week one. That, this, has the, like, this is the type of thing. When you watch the way, and this is where talk gets dangerous, right? Because you see what our young guys are doing against bad football teams. But also they're doing it to a degree where you're like, well, they're doing it so convincingly. I don't know that they couldn't carry some of this over. You look at the way they're winning. A.J. Epinesa's learned how to convert speed to power. That's his game. Boogie Basham is squeezing in between interior offensive linemen for pass rush pressure. Greg Rousseau has two sacks to his credit that literally are just, it's not like he wowed anyone. It's not like he did anything like Miles Garrett-esque where he was so fast that he beat the guy to the corner and ate your quarterback alive. Instead, you had him by all accounts. You had hands on him. 
his sack against the Bears. Two people had hands on him. He's just so big, you can't stop him. You can't stop him from imposing his will, and his reach is deceptive. And when quarterbacks are standing in what they think is a clean pocket, it turns out you're actually in danger. It's like Jaws. You don't know if there's a shark in the water until you see it, and now it's too late. How many games against the Kansas City Chiefs, twice last year, did Patrick Mahomes just calmly stand in the pocket? We rattled some quarterbacks. But some of them, like Mahomes, who got the better of us twice, just stood there. With savvy, let us move past him. He wasn't rattled, he, he trusted his athleticism, and he just stayed the course, and it paid dividends for his offense. So we went out and got guys who are so big that it doesn't matter if they are blocked, they can still move you from your spot, which is really when you're trying to beat the Kansas Cities of the world, that's all you're trying to do is say, look, maybe I can't sack you five times in this football game but I can harass you. I can find ways to make you uncomfortable, and that's getting a bulldozer of a defensive end slash D-tackle who can beat guards and center, beat the guard and center with speed. I can get a guy who's so long at defensive end, and he's so powerful, that even when he's blocked, sometimes he's not, and you have to know that. A.J. Epinesa, a guy who can play the Jerry Hughes role where if he's left on an island, Maybe he can convert some things. Oh, by the way, you still have a Mario Addison and a Jerry Hughes who've been doing it for half a decade at a high level. That is what you're building. You're building the front four that's going to be able to try to help you hold your own, hopefully, against the Kansas Cities of the world. I love it. I think that they've done everything for a reason in this preseason, and I'm, I can't wait to see what our third game has to bear. Now, you need to tune in this week to our AFC East Roundup, where our crack group of analysts from each AFC East fan base is going to look at what we've all learned thus far about our identities and our individual teams, what roster battles are still unsettled heading into our final preseason game, and what we're going to be watching ahead of final cutdowns when this penultimate final game, I guess penultimate's the wrong word, because this is it. I'm used to saying three, Chris. Like, oh, three, but then you still have a fourth. Now nope. this is it. Not here in 2021. No, nope. phasing out that preseason. So this is the last chance we're going to get to see this team, and the coaching staff is going to get to see them ahead of the final cutdowns when the we have to get ready for our kickoff. It's going to be a fun podcast. I can't wait to talk about the Bills angle of this, specifically when it comes to some of these roster battles, because I owe you a Seagrams. <laughs> I owe a Seagrams my first probably of many this season. And also... Check out O'Neill Stadium in, the official Happy Hour podcast series partner of the Rock Pile Report podcast. Weekly theme nights and specials from DJ Trivia and Cornhole League Night to parking for game days and all your post-Bills game partying needs. As well as what Pat Moran of the Talking Buffalo podcast refers to as the Joe DeLamalier of Buffalo Chicken Wings. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't underscore this, Chris. We're gonna, heading into this season, have a little bit of change in format. Most of you, and for some of you, this is your fault. (laughs) For some of you, this is your fault. I'll explain. Chris, when we split the podcast and said, listen, our AFC East segment has gotten enough feedback that we think we can make it its own podcast. We've made enough inroads with enough AFC East podcasters. We think we have an idea that we can make this a fun show in and of itself. So we're going to rip that out of the weekly podcast just to save time and make two podcasts. But they might have some value in and of themselves. And our regular Rock Pile Report podcast started out at about an hour. And then it crept up to an hour 20. And then it crept up to an hour 30. And pretty soon we were podcasting for, we were back to where we started from at almost an hour 45 to two hours. And you all didn't leave. (laughs) You all stuck around for it. (laughs) So it's kind of your fault that we're making this move. But we're also being selfish in a way. Like you heard it at the top of the show. I love being able to sometimes dive into NFL topics. Chris has a new job where his schedule is going to dictate his ability to do some of the editing that makes this podcast work. 
Because otherwise, I'm just an idiot screaming into a microphone, and I sound like a dude talking into a soup can. Chris, you are quietly the engine that drives this podcast. Yeah, I mean, it's got to sound good. So your availability also makes it that we need to start splitting things up. So going into the season, we're going to be doing three releases a week. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Game reaction, AFC's roundup, game preview. We're going to break them down so that it's all condensed in a more manageable package that everybody can... Because here's the thing. Chris, I just keep finding things to talk about and people don't stop listening to the podcast. Yeah. So ultimately, well, some of you may say, oh, it's selfish, it's a cash grab, it's this, it's that. No, what it boils down to is you guys love us so much that you keep showing up week after week after week and listening to my nonsense, no matter how long it goes on for. So now, to fit our own personal schedules, we're going to break this up a little bit the way Chris can do his editing. I can do a little more research and dig into some things that I think are worth talking about. I think it's going to be better for not just our brand, but for you guys. And also, for those of you who have been long-timers, be on the lookout because I'm about to tonight put in our first order for Rockpile Report swag, and I have a laundry list over the last three years of who I owe what. Just be ready. Make sure you're following us at Rockpile Report on Twitter because I'm going to start reaching out to you all and getting mailing addresses so I can start shipping some shit out pro bono. Because you've stuck with us for so long, I'd like to give back. Chris, this has all been fun. This whole process has been fun. I'm incre- therapeutic. I'm incredibly excited about what this season can be, what the season holds for our podcast, for our listeners. We gotta get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger, and this has been your Rockpile Report.